I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Zach hey. Roden. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't know if I was supposed to do it or not. You know you are. <laughs> That's you you hundred percent are. When everything goes horribly wrong, this is so much better. There was a there was a pause and then I got I got worried I missed my line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me try that again. Yeah. And I'm Zach Roden. And we love to watch. We love to watch this movie in 2004, preferably. Bang, bang, you're dead. Oh, it's so easily dead. Bang, bang, you're dead. Put all the rumors to bed. Bang, bang, you're dead. I knew all along, but I was loath to believe. Hey, Zach. Hey. Hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> Zach, as you can tell, enthused uh, to be on for his fifth appearance. Number yeah. five, five timers club. I thought this was six. I guess I... I mean, you're the math teacher. Maybe this is the sixth appearance. I'm not the memory teacher. <laughs> I'm not the records keeping teacher. <laughs> can you imagine a memory teacher? Like they just spread out those <laughs> tiles everywhere and it's like, all right, Tom, pick. Okay, now pick again. Yeah. All right, no, you you got it wrong. John, your turn. <laughs> make sure you study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make sure you're you just, study uh, the board in front of you and nothing else. <laughs> so you're Look. basically just adding inefficiencies to the game, Simon. Look for nicks and wrinkles in the cards that can give away what they are. <laughs> Cheat. <laughs> you don't, don't actually use memory. Cheat. Uh, um, yeah, so anyway, so welcome to We Love to Watch. It is a movie podcast. Uh, the first one, I think. Uh, I don't think there's been other ones. I think we invented the concept of uh, watching movies with our eyes and then using our mouths to make you listen to us uh, talk about it. Uh, and what we like it's to really do... It's really so anatomical. It's it's all about your parts. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you, you listen with your ears. We say it with our mouth after watching a movie with our eyes and our ears. And if we do our job right, you should feel it in your dick. <laughs> Dick talk <laughs> or your vagina. Are making popcorn? What's going on? I don't. I don't know what's going on. We're gonna cut out. It does sound like he's being shot at or playing with bubble wrap. Both inappropriate things to do while you're on a podcast, as I mentioned. Zach, um, please do not make any enemies before you're gonna record this podcast. What? What? What, what are you doing <laughs> in the background? I'm being assaulted and murdered. <laughs> please call the police. Um. It, this it's gonna if, depending how much I leave in about this, it's gonna sound really crazy because obviously I'm gonna edit out all the noise on Zach's track during this part, so we're just gonna be yelling at silence, and everyone's gonna be like, "They fucking lost their minds." Uh, <laughs> Shut but, up, ghost. <laughs> um, so that's what we are, and but we don't like to just cover random movies. We don't just go and like put all the movies in a in a hat. And then grab one out and go, I guess we're covering Pretty Woman. And then Peter goes, fuck, we covered that last week. And I say, I know, I forgot to take the cards out of the hat that we've already used. It's a problem, but we have to do it. No, we try to come up with themes. And they're loose themes that that tie together three, four, five, however long a normal month is, and talk about those movies. And this month, the theme, as voted on by our listeners, is a very Shane Black Christmas. And this is our third episode on his first big hit, his first big break as the writer of a little movie directed by Richard Donner from 1987 called 
Loaded Weapon 1, National Lampoons, The Loaded Weapon 1. <laughs> it's actually a lethal weapon. Have you heard of it? And Zach, who's joining us, we found out had basically not heard of it because he had not seen the movie. I had heard um, of it. And every indication that he gave us uh, leading up from when he watched it a couple weeks ago to this podcast is he was not a fan. So this is going to be an interesting uh, show because I watched it when I was 14 uh, and loved it. I believe Pierce in your top five favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's probably my top five or top ten. It's a movie that I've watched I don't know, dozens upon dozens of times in my life. It, yeah, some people, you know, some people cosplay their favorite movies. It explained to me why Peter, once a year, he doesn't go to a comic book convention, but he chains himself to a radiator and just takes it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have, I do uh, have a bad habit of watching all four Lethal Weapon movies every year. It was tough um, for me. If it wasn't a time crunch, I wanted to go to Lethal Weapon 2. And partially because at some, at, it's been so long since I've seen Lethal Weapon, uh, I mixed up plot points of 2 into this one. And so I'm like, wait, when's this scene going to happen? And it you, didn't that's happen. Not, that's not just you. Molly did that too because I feel like um, we watch Lethal Weapon as a Christmas movie every year. But I also sometimes I segue that into, oh, we watched Lethal Weapon as a Christmas movie. Now we're going to watch the rest of the movies, which yeah. are not Christmas <laughs> movies. Uh, so she's like, is this the one where he has the girlfriend who has all the scars? I'm like, nope, that's Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, see, and I kept thinking the girl from Lethal Weapon. I, I was sure that he had a romantic interest in this movie, uh, which, he, which he does not. Um, he, he does, and she is dead. <laughs> yeah, it's the dog is the best shot. Uh, otherwise, yeah. it's uh, his his other two love interests in this movie are Danny Glover and homophobia. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but Zach is our guest. He has never seen it. We're going to get into what Zach thinks about the movie in a second. Uh, before we do that, a Zach, can uh, are you ready to talk so you're not moving stuff or whatever it is you're doing in the background? Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm ready. Zach, if you could introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, I'm Zach Groton. Uh, if you've listened for long, you know me from the other appearances I've made on the show. It's and been a while, though, sadly. How it, long has it been? Last April. You were on our uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Episode. So not a full year. No. Okay. It feels like a long time since it does. Been on, though, buddy. It's, uh, time is hard for me to gauge because it's just when you're a teacher, it fl- flies by. Mm-hmm. And then it's then it, then like so I never is know that, how wait, long. Hold on, is that like a common thing you and the other teachers say? Because if that is a teacher stereotype, that has that has not gotten outside of your guys' occupation. It's not an expression, but like the year just fl- like flies by. Like I can't believe it's already Christmas. I can't believe you're already eighty years old. Yeah, I know. Like I just it's, yesterday, it is I was, weird that you aged faster than us significantly. Uh-huh. It feels like just yesterday you were 79 and 365 days old. Uh, it's the effects of relativity. <laughs> but well, I'm not a science Florida, teacher. So you're I can't on the explain. edge. Yeah, exactly. So you spin faster. Right. I get science. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and you guys are up north-ish. Well, I don't know where you are, Peter. Where you are now? California? I'm in I'm in San Diego. Yeah. As, yeah, as no say. one says that's ever lived here. But uh, yeah, wow. Southern California now. I have a similar problem, though, with you with time passing because we don't really have seasons here. Yeah, well, so we don't like, have those either. Yeah, because you're in <laughs> Florida. 
So stuff just kind of flows into one another. And then like, there's like a part of the year where it's like a little colder and then it gets really fucking hot in like January or July and August. And it's, it's pretty flat. So, right. Let me ask you guys a question. So where you're from in, in California and Florida, respectively, when they play the expose song, uh, seasons change is everyone like really confused i i'm not familiar with that song goes like this seasons change (laughs) is everyone probably like i don't know that means must be a code must be one of those hidden meaning songs i've never heard that song in my life now i'm just thinking about that indie rock band was it like twin twin sister twin snakes what's it called metal gear solid twin snakes or the guy's song called seasons so like seasons change. Oh, future islands. Future islands. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> the song seasons I got because it was Pitchfork's like number one song. I don't know like any of this music or something. But what did you call them? Twin stakes. Twin instead stakes? of uh, sisters. Twin, twin sisters. Geeks? Future sister? islands. Uh, islands in the future. That is where they are. Coming from afar. <laughs> we can't rely far yeah. wherever you are. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Zach, anything else to share about yourself? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I think all of, we, all of what you and Peter just said is everything about me. So. <laughs> You've been on the show before, and there's a song by Future Islands called Seasons. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. <laughs> no, we got a whole state he lives in. That narrows I have, it down. So I, have, I have passed by a restaurant called Seasons 52. Oh, that's I'm, nice. I've never Zach eaten thinks- there, though. <laughs> Thank you. This is getting better and better. But I've passed Zach, by it. It sounds. Can you, can you drill down into this story? Really getting in the nitty gritty. So, do you think that they think there's a new season each week, or I, what is the fifty? I don't record? know why it's called that. You should go in and ask. Maybe it's like all every season, fifty-two weeks out of the year, they're open. I don't know. That's uh, a theory. Uh, Zach, <laughs> it's Zach, it, it's, uh, it, it's an expensive place. It looks like the kind of place you gotta. Have like a, a a blazer just to go in. Oh, oh and so, those and, places. And so I'm I'm riffraff. I mean, I, so <laughs> like, <laughs> I, oh, if I go in there, guys. if I go in there, a guy with a simtar will throw me out and call me a street rat. So yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, fact number two, you are a street rat. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, we stopped doing that with returning guests, Peter. Oh, sorry. The, uh, okay, I didn't tell you. I just stopped asking guests that. <laughs> he started with number one. Uh, Zach, uh, can you um, can you also mention? Uh, yeah. I won't. But oh. can you also mention that you contributed artwork to the show before? I've contributed artwork to the show before. Looks Isn't great, that great folks. Uh, so yeah, so we are very excited to have you on the show. Um, I feel a little bad that it's going to come at the um, in the wake of Peter's sanity as you clearly planned to shit all over one of his favorite movies um, it's okay i'm not gonna okay. i'm not gonna be that rough okay there's a dog not like movie. not as rough as say mel gibson was to people that were different than him yeah uh, not gonna so. be that rough <laughs> great um, i'm gonna take a break <laughs> too uh and then when we come back we'll talk about lethal weapon all right i'm gonna sit right here
to we love to watch. We just had a normal conversation, nothing <laughs> weird. I my cat has decided to attack uh, our headphones. Cat by ours, attack. I mean mine specifically. So I'm gonna go put her in a little room for a little bit, and <laughs> then we'll do some some recaps. Uh, Zach, last time he said he was gonna put the cat away. He said I'm going to put the cat in a room, which to <laughs> me sounded very ominous. Does it sound ominous to you? Yeah, anytime people use indefinite articles, I'm a little perturbed. Yeah, you're like, why are you skirting adjectives so much? I'm going to a store. Literally. <laughs> Which store? It like it, it is almost a invitation to more questions. Like you might as well just say I'm going to a store. I bet you wonder which one. And then and sometimes it's it's the opposite. Like if you say, Hey, where did you do with that thing? I put it in the box. <laughs> like it's disturbing. Do you want me to say the specific room? Will that make you feel better, <laughs> Peter? Is it the fact that I just say a room that's getting to you week in, week out? I don't know if it's like the Chokey from Matilda. Like, I don't know what room it could be. There's so many variations in rooms. It could be a room full of other cats. It could be a room full of other dogs. Have you seen the movie Cube? Yes. I've seen the movie Cube. What's the second one? I've seen the second one. Cube 2, Hypercube. Hypercube. No, the one before that. The one after that. Cube Zero? Yeah, I've seen Cube Zero. <laughs> the one before that, Cube. No, the one after that, Cube Two Hyper Cube. No, 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 like before that. Yeah, cube. like the one that takes place. This, this is how this is how computers in the eighties crashed. <laughs> <laughs> this is why everyone was afraid of Y two K. The circular logic eating itself. All right, uh, I am alternate taglines. Uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go into it. So I should mention the tagline to this movie is pretty famous. So what famous. What is it? I'm quickly looking it up on my phone to make sure oh, yeah. that the uh, that I get the uh, tagline exactly right. I don't want any of those fact people to call me out or show up at my home again. I thought you were going to say a different F.A. word after watching this movie. Uh, they only say that once. Okay, it is two cops. Glover carries a weapon. Gibson is one. He's the only L.A. cop registered as a lethal Weapon. That's a long tagline. It's a why long tagline. Why did they not let Shane? Why did they not let Shane Black write that tagline? Because he's like an expert at getting like really quippy, fast lines out. I don't know. Here's the other reason it doesn't make a ton of sense. Why does it sound um, like it was translated from like Cantonese into English <laughs> and then back? <laughs> I mean, least, yeah, it's like it's like Jimmy James' book on news radio, <laughs> or, or someone who's never heard of the concept of a tagline. Like, it's like a movie where uh, '80s taglines were really, really long, and I don't know. She's why. like a pretty woman. <laughs> She's going on a date with a man. It's One of the other. Be a, Good time. Probably <laughs> their taglines was just pity the bad guys. Yeah, that's not the famous one. Like the one is like because it's that's that a terrible tagline. Of, like, of, of Gibson being a um, Gibson being a lethal weapon. I don't know if it was cut out. I did watch the director's cut. But oh, I didn't I know there was it, a director's cut. It, it must not have even made it into the director's cut. That I don't remember any sort of bureaucracy around registering uh, Martin Riggs <laughs> as some sort of like lethal weapon, like a gun. Yeah, I was under the impression, I'm going to be I'm going to be real honest right now that this movie was like was like about that that he was like the most lethal man like in the country to himself. Yeah. In a way, in a way it kind of is. I He's mean, just a psycho. He snaps he snaps so many necks in this movie. It's amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, this is very much where MacGruber gets its throat rips from, I think. Oh my god, yeah. I and thought that was a Steven Seagal thing. It, it feels so good in the, in the movie when he does break a neck, but like on retrospect, you're like, he breaks a lot of fucking necks. Is his thing breaking necks? <laughs> um, so I guess my alternate tagline would be something shorter. Like, I don't know. Mel Gibson is a lethal weapon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but, then, but but then that leaves Danny Glover out of it, and Danny Glover is the like, Danny the best Glover part of this movie. Is well, it's a movie about Danny Glover, which I forgot. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Danny Glover is a Not pretty good cop, a lethal weapon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Danny Glover's like a kind of lethal D- weapon. Danny he Glover is relatively safe. Yeah, he kills a lot of people, and he was in Nam, man. A lot yeah. of people probably died. A lot of Viet Cong probably went down. Maybe a village or two. Who knows? We who knows what that shadow company was. Yeah, up to. I mean, he was he knew Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins, not a great guy in this movie. <laughs> Tom Atkins, uh, hey, you know, before he was even Vietnam, he's probably a lady killer with that mustache. <laughs> Am I right, guys? <laughs> Which one was Tom Atkins? Tom Atkins <gasps> is, is he the bad guy. Hunts, he's Hunsacker. He gets uh, sniped by Gary Busey through uh, oh, the window. True. He's holding eggnog, and he's like, "We're in Shadow Company. We're bringing drugs in and out of Laos after the war." Like that guy. Mustache. Yeah. Okay. Mustache. He gives all. It's a very weird scene because he literally gives all the information to a cop who is investigating <laughs> that situation, and then is like, "But you can't like tell anyone." It's like, "Well, why <laughs> did you tell me all that info?" Of course, I'm going to tell. Well, that was off the record. You can't use that as off the record. I'm not a newspaper person. There's no (laughs) off the record when you confess everything to the police. I think he's like telling, I think he's like telling him in confidence as an old war buddy and a friend, (laughs) like, please go home to your family. They will murder you. And and, and, uh, Danny Glover's like, they're not going to murder me. And he's like, (laughs) just watch. (laughs) Tom Atkins turns into Arnold Schwarzenegger for that line. (laughs) Just watch. They're coming to get you in a helicopter. We left the watch. So, yeah. So, I I guess my alternate tagline is Mel Gibson is better in 1987. Uh, Peter, what is your – you know what? I'm done with these semantic debates with people about 90-second recap. Peter – Please do a new segment, totally different than the 90-second recap, that we call the plot recap. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, in the first scene, we settle on... No. um, So, it's a... uh, (laughs) Interior night. We're introduced to two cops. Martin Riggs, who is a... uh, Lethal weapon. A hot wire sort of uh, cop who doesn't care if he lives or dies. He's suicidal after the death of... The accidental death of his wife. Lethal weapon 2, we find out she was actually murdered. We're completely ignoring that for this movie. Um, So, uh, he's suicidal after the death of his wife. He's being assigned a new partner in uh, Roger Murtaugh. Murtaugh is... A family man, a man approaching the end of his career. He's kind of approaching his golden years. He feels his age. He feels like he's getting older. Uh, Roger gets contacted by an old war buddy who says his daughter is into some drugs and stuff. And we're actually introduced to this daughter in the opening scene where she commits suicide. And so the first uh, mission of these two ill, you know, ill-paired cops is uh, find out what happened to Amanda Hunsecker. And uh, they go off and, you know 
track down the drugs that she was using and who gave her the drugs. And eventually they get they fall into a uh, conspiracy with this uh, group called a shadow company, which is like ex-CIA and ex-military people who, uh, after the Vietnam War, decided to use their connections to bring drugs into the country, heroin specifically into the country. And they, those two decide to burn it down. The cost of that is that at the top of the second act, they try and kill Martin Riggs. Uh, they let me, let me just jump kill. in and say something. Big mistake. Big mistake. You really peeved that guy off. You cheese. You cheese off the Rigster. He'll cheese you right back. Hey, uh, he, uh, quick, quick, quick quote. Was that a Shane Black quote or not? <laughs> <laughs> That's a better tagline than the one, the first one you said. The real one. <laughs> it is. It is a Shane Black line. It was the tagline. Or not the tagline, the attempted catchphrase from a little movie called Last Action Hero. Thank you. Then Riggs and Murtaugh set off to uh, recover Murtaugh's daughter who's been kidnapped by that organization. They want to bring in Riggs and Murtaugh so they can interrogate them and kill them and find out every information they know, they've learned about uh, the organization and uh, so that they can still make this big drug deal that we learn about. This does not go well because Riggs is a lethal weapon. And Murtaugh is a less lethal weapon. Um, I think you're the lethal. What's lethal, the, what's right? what's like what's one step down from lethal? Mostly lethal weapon. <laughs> Annoying. Illy. Frustrating. Stun weapon. Stun weapon. Stun weapon. <laughs> yeah, mild. Inconvenient. An inconvenient weapon. weapon. That's the uh, new. That's the the, the going to be the next Al Gore movie. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be about uh, unregulated lethal weapons. Um, unregulated so they, Danny Glovers. Not unregulated Glovers. <laughs> uh, so uh, they obviously recover Danny Glover's daughter. There's a big fight scene between the lead henchman Gary Busey and uh, Martin Riggs. They defeat him, and at the end of the movie, Martin Riggs has overcome his uh his uh suicidal tendencies he's decided to reach out to other people and like embrace more than just the job uh he's he's, he accepts martin or murtaugh as not just his partner but his family his best friend is the person that he can and so it's a very happy ending after all the neck snaps and electrocutions and shit and he gives the bullet that he was going to use to uh to kill himself with that he kind of uh, shared with Danny Glover in an early scene. That a was special a hollow, hollow point, point to hollow make sure point. do the job right. Yep, and he ge- he he gives that back to him. Say, you know, your da- your dad will know what this means uh, before he's invited back. And so, it's, yeah, it is it is a very sweet ending. We talked about this in the last two Shane Black movies that he you know he likes his cynicism, uh, but he he loves to wrap it up in a nice sweet bow. He was planning to circumvent that or to up uproot that in Lethal Weapon Two uh, before he was not allowed to. We mentioned that in last week's episode. Uh, what did he try to do? He wanted to kill uh, Martin Riggs, and then oh. the studio basically said that he could not. And he makes a joke out of it in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where he clearly kills Val Kilmer, and then Val Kilmer shows up at the end. So. We talked a little bit about our experience with the movie. Again, it was it was one of those when I was when I was like 13, 14, um, and I had a friend. Everyone had this friend who parents were either gone all day or didn't give a shit about what movies that you watch. Maybe that was maybe you were that maybe you were that kid. But my parents were pretty strict on what ratings 
So I had to have a friend and I had a really good friend and I we'd go over to his house and we'd rent movies and they owned a bunch of movies and we would just kind of go through like these these big movies that I'd always wanted to see but um, was difficult to see when my parents had kind of made them uh, verbotum in um, – in their household. So stuff like Total Recall and all those RoboCop. I mean, you can go through that list of like probably any big, uh, well-known R-rated movie from the 80s and, and uh, mid to early 90s. I probably saw him over at Nathan's house. And uh, Lethal Weapon was, was pretty high on the list. I'd always wanted to see it. Um, I absolutely, absolutely loved it. Uh, and, you know, like Peter, I started doing this thing where I would, I would, I remember it was one of the first movies I was excited to get, like, get all four of them on DVD. When DVDs came out and I started doing that thing that I, you know, do with, like, the Back to the Future movies and the Alien movies, where if I'm watching the first one, chances are I'm going to go through the entire series. Um, and then for, for Lethal Weapon, I just haven't seen it in, like, 10 or 15 years, probably more like 10. Um, and I, it's not the obvious reason. It was just, you know, just something that didn't kind of end up in my rotation the same way like watching all the diehards did. I kind of, if if we're doing a diehard versus lethal weapon, I lean a little bit towards uh towards diehard and end up watching those a bunch of times. And these kind of fell by the wayside. So obviously, Zach, I, I am very curious to hear. I saw it last never, week. Yeah, how have you? How have you <laughs> never managed to? So you and you've never seen any of these? No. I've seen a little bits. I've seen like a scene or two from two They're TV staples. Yeah. Well, I've seen the scene. There's a scene I think in the second one where one of them's in a bathtub. Oh there's yeah. A bomb. Yep. That's, that's two. All right. So I saw that at one time at a clip show party I was at, and then I saw part of four on a TV the night after my mother and my stepfather got married because my uncle like needed something to get his mind off of us pesky kids <laughs> so here yeah, watch watch chris rock say some funny shit he's he's like just leave me alone i'm watching tv and so he <laughs> he's oh well he, welcome to the family new <laughs> dad well no this is my uncle i knew him i love okay. my uncle <laughs> thank you for continuing to be part of the family old uncle my my but so he had lethal weapon four on and i just remember jet lee being involved somehow yeah. And yeah, I remember some good fights in that. And I remember it must have been on like FX because you know they always have the people like yammering between between the you know and the commercials because one of the people said that they wanted Jackie Chan for that part, but Jackie Chan wouldn't do it because he didn't play villains. That's my knowledge of the actual Lethal Weapon movies prior to like a week ago. Now then, we also have the strange case of the fact that I had seen. I've watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia through like eight or nine times, if not more. And so I've seen their Lethal Weapon five and six episodes multiple times. And I'm just kind of staggered at how much the actual movie was just like those. <laughs> <laughs> it even like, takes place in that when they do the one in like the big warehouse. Yeah. I noticed that this time around, too. It's like, oh. I forgot that that was, like, a direct reference to where they were at the end of this one. So, like, that, those episodes all of a sudden became funnier to me because, in my mind, the episodes were them trying to make their own spin on Lethal Weapon. No, it's just them recreating scenes from Lethal Weapon and calling it a new movie. <laughs> like, that now is all of a sudden, the joke is enhanced once you've actually watched the thing being parodied, which isn't too crazy, but... 
you've made some hints to us um, that you don't like this movie. I didn't, like, hate it. Like, I've seen movies like where garbage, I'm like, I don't want to watch again. But, like, <laughs> it just, it, it left so little impression on me that, like, you guys just did a recap of the movie, and I was like, what? <laughs> Like I don't remember any of that. Like we're 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 gonna get into it, but I almost wonder if that's because that this movie essentially created the modern like buddy cop, yeah, uh, genre. Um, <sighs> it's not that they never did buddy cop movies before, but this really was that like two partners that hate each other. They have some difference of some level, and like that became one of the most common like mini genres of action comedies action movies yeah to a like to them, come a lot of them unwatchable too the a lot is, of them unwatchable so yeah. it, it it does feel like even watching this i was kind of impressed by how small this movie felt because in my yeah. memory it was huge uh, and again that's getting that's generally the, the case lead. with those things like halloween or like, yeah, it's a it's a very intimate movie. I think there's it a lot is. of scenes that are very charged and two people like one on one kind of sparring or you know vis- uh, verbally or physically. I will and say yeah, this, I actually had planned to watch it again before I forgot today was the day we were recording because I did feel like now that I had no expectations and that's generally true of movies when I watch a movie that I've seen already I usually appreciate it more the second time because I have no expectations. I know what it is, and I can just focus on each moment, and I don't have yeah. to think what what's going to happen next or what am I? Where is this going? So, like, I probably would enjoy it more if I watched it again. Going into it, I I had an idea what the movie was, and it just kind of underwhelmed me in all of those ways. Well, and because you're not just watching like a template that was used and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah. You're also watching a template that was parodied over and over and over and over. Like all of the scenes yeah. in this movie, the reason why it does feel smaller and why some of the sequels do feel, feel bigger. Like if you look at like the big action scenes, like the helicopter showing up at the guy's house and mowing them down. Yeah. Or um, the everyone driving their cars out to the desert. Like those weren't like common tropes. Yeah. Now they do that shit in hangover movies. Like it's not <laughs> – it's not as unique as it was when I first saw it in the mid-90s, probably when it, – it definitely feels like a movie that has had some of the air taken out of it by just being this iconic movie that everyone wanted to be. Now, see, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's my issue. I'm not saying it's not a thing, but I watch – because I watch movies all the time that you would call the original – slasher or the original you know gangster movie or whatever and i never really have that issue if i enjoy the movie like seven samurai is probably in my favorite movie and it's been done to death everything every everything in that movie has become a trope and you know has been parodied and redone or just straight up remade but yeah i still watch that movie and it like blows my mind every time or it's like it's done. It's because it's done so well, and yeah. the purity. Yeah, I, and, and like I don't think I don't think you know Seven Samurai obviously like a much more revolutionary movie than Lethal Weapon. Yeah, obviously, but but I love Lethal Weapon in the same way I love Seven Samurai in that they feel they feel like a pure distillation of what a artist was trying to do with these tropes. Which yeah, separates it from the imitators in that the imitators are going off of like 
well, I guess I can do what they already did. This feels similar to that. It feels like it's there's a purity to it and there's like an invention to how it's being done. I do think one of the other differences, too, is that Seven Samurai, they they obviously they remade that movie. Or let's talk about the other 1987 action movie that kind of redefined the genre, which was Die Hard. I think Die Hard still feels um, new and fresh yeah. in a way that Lethal Weapon doesn't. And it's not Lethal Weapon's fault. It's because when they copied Die Hard over and over and over again, yeah. which they did, they said Die Hard on a this. So you had yeah. – it's the guy stuck in this area, the guy yeah. stuck in this area. And people added to it. It felt. It feels like a, a Xerox. It feels like a copy that you're watching yeah. an inferior version by by necessity. With Lethal Weapon, not only because Buddy Cop was a little more expansive for what they could do without within that genre. Not only did you have a bunch of movies that were actually really good, you know, that yeah. took, took the idea of Lethal Weapon. But you also had because there's no like clear hook besides just two cops go on crime adventures and make jokes occasionally. Right. It's 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 not as it's not as clear they just so much stuff was just taken wholesale in a way you couldn't do on Die Hard because in Die Hard it was like, well, how can you take this wholesale? You can't. It's just a person in a building having yeah. having uh, encounters. It's just they said, okay, well, let's put them somewhere else and then that leads to different encounters. With Lethal Weapon, it really was just a Okay, yeah, let's have the helicopter show up at the house, and let's have someone in their family get kidnapped, and let's have the the cops start fighting, and then have a moment where they get together, and let's have – like, they were able to copy more directly, I think, for for good movies and for bad movies, that it does feel a little less – revolutionary in the same way that going back to a Die Hard or a Seven Samurai, I think, still does. But I – Peter – the floor is yours. Tell us a little bit how you fell in love with this movie and what your thoughts about this most recent rewatch were. Well, I'm glad that so far we've been kind of uh, pointing to things that I completely agree with, uh, w- with its influence on uh, other action movies and uh, how it's been aped by other action movies. Um, but I want to say that this is a movie that's so near and dear to me. Because uh, I saw it when I was very young, and every year that went on that I saw it, uh, new and new, newer and newer information just kept getting dropped on me. Um, in the most recent two or three watches, it's been stuff about Shane Black. In the first couple watches, it was like it was basically like, oh, this is what movies can be. You f- you feel like a pure cinema experience. You can feel sad. You can feel excited about like a great car chase, and you can laugh like a really good joke. And like there's sort of the whole the whole bag of things, like a very classic Hollywood idea of what cinema could be. Um, and then as the years went on, I got more excited because I saw more of its imitators and the the fact that it did its uh, action and its comedy so much better than its imitators is what made me continue to love it. So like, it's, it's a movie that's weirdly for a movie that, like you said, is very simple. It seems pretty simple. I could see why a first time watcher would maybe not like uh, find a lot to, to grab onto, but it's a movie that like, as the years have gone on, I found more and more and more to grab onto. Uh, and I think the, literally the only thing holding it back is uh, something that Shane Black has a lot in his movies, which is, um, uh, either homophobia or uh, women's rights problems, and two, the fact that one of the stars went on to be a monster 
Uh, yeah, was already a monster and we didn't know, but I think and, went on to be a monster is probably the best way to say it. Yeah, and we're we're going to we're going to be talking about that in just a second cuz we do need to rip that band-aid off. Um yeah, we got to we got to get into it because we gotta it, get into it, it, it is a very interesting discussion to have. Like yeah, this is it, this is two decades before or not two decades, a decade and a half before Yeah. The, I mean it's closer to two out. it's closer to two decades, 18 years. So cuz it was Crazy. 2000 it was 2005. So, let's Rip off this fucking band-aid of Mel Gibson, who is a horrible garbage person who should not be continuing to make movies. I would be much happier if he was not this kind of redemption of him kind of being in recently Daddy's Home 2 and even like, you know, The Beaver and some other stuff where he he keeps giving him – people keep trying to – want to make Mel Gibson a star again and and try to put him in various things to kind of get him going. And I will say the movies that he's made since then are I'm I'm I've only I think I've only seen Bloodfather uh that he's been in. Um but even if I hadn't, I mean I, I feel like those movies are, are harder to watch. Where it gets tricky for me, and I don't have all the answers here, is it gets tricky to me because I have a personal investment that, like, he has starred in literally some of my uh, favorite movies now and some of my, like, even more favorite movies when I was a kid, like Beyond the Lethal Weapon and the Mad Max movies. Like, he was a charming motherfucker who was in a ton of movies I love, Payback and Conspiracy Theory. And, you know, he he was funny. He always seemed a little crazy. Um he just kind of oozed charisma from the screen, you know. So that's that's where it gets tricky. We we kind of talked about this a little bit uh, when we rewatched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang last week, and felt like sure I dropped it a star rating because it it felt like it had some serious issues with women that didn't strike me in two thousand five that I'm noticing now. But if I had seen that fresh in twenty seventeen, would I have given it four stars or would I have you said this is kind of garbage. It's two stars. The 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 other things, the the positive things, don't make up for how misogynistic this is. So, am I am I because these are so close to my home, and I I I don't want to not watch the Road Warrior again. I don't want to not watch the Lethal Weapon movies again. Am I a little more uh, willing to go back and n- not defend it, but ignore it? <clears throat> and it is a tough question because. Uh, there is the question that comes up with, uh, what are, what is the action of buying a movie ticket, buying a DVD? Uh, what is the action, uh, saying? So you going to go see Daddy's Home 2 right now, I think is more harmful than you watching a movie that was, that's been out since, uh, you know, 1987, uh, for a few reasons. One of which is it gives him less money. Uh, and also I own all these movies already <laughs> yeah it's true um, it gives him less money uh, but also I think uh, him continuing to act after what I would consider to be and I think almost everybody considers to be uh, an, an inadequate uh, apology uh, all of his his apologies for the anti-semitism he barely addressed uh, the fact that he is a domestic abuser who struck his wife, I believe, when she was holding their child. I mean, in those tapes, I mean, he's a he's a racist. He is a like, I mean, I, I, can't, I got I don't even... Lakers tickets. He's like this, like pathetic drunk. It is so sad. Like, yeah, 
Not for him, for his wife and his child. Um, uh, yeah. That's so the thing is, is when you become an abuser, all, all of your sympathy, when you're just a drunk eating away at yourself, people are like, oh, that's sad. Once you switch over to start abusing people, everyone's like, hey, actually, now we've shifted our sympathy away from you. You are the piece of shit now. And, and you're a drunk abuser um, who made this like in your face movie about values and preached values all the time. And you're racist. You're anti-Semitic. You're a misogynist. You're violent. Like, I I would say that for the most part, he is essentially an irredeemable person in my eyes because it'd be one thing if there was the one drunk incident in 2005. It went on and on after that. We found out stuff from before it was known of kind of what a – what a what a monster he could be and some of his terrible ideas and views. Like, he – and he's never really addressed it. He's never really apologized. He just seems to want to keep he, – he goes away for a little bit and tries to get people to forget. I would say he is a about as close as you can get to uh, not just someone who I don't want to see movies from anymore, which is most of these people. Uh, like I don't want to see any new movies for, for people that have been accused of this stuff. I, you don't need a redemption in the career that you were in. But like irredeemable as a human being, I think it's hard to get closer to Mel Gibson. <laughs> Yeah, I just think I I think like if as a liberal or as a leftist, whatever you want to call as a progressive, somebody that's um, more, I think, uh, of the inclination of um, towards crime that, you know, the abuser, the 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 offender can commit this crime, they can get help and they can become someone else. Part of that is what's dragging me back to, like, trying to forgive certain people that actually are asking for contrition. Because there are people that I think actually are asking and trying for contrition after they have a fuck up, right? Do you think Do you think that's true of Mel Gibson, though? I do not think that he okay. has properly, that's what I'm uh, saying. properly made and asked for contrition. I have to believe that people can turn their life around and get better. Otherwise, everything that I believe about crime and everything that I believe about life myself included i have to believe that i can get better doesn't doesn't hold but you have to you have to admit that you're wrong you have to get on your knees and beg the world to forgive you and then if people say go away you go away that is your cost that is the cost (laughs) that's and that's what i'm saying about mel gibson like it's 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 not that i'm saying he i mean i don't know who's redeemable or not but i mean the the incident in 2005 i mean that's 12 years ago and he keeps trying to feel like sneakily work his way back without ever addressing it meanwhile doing worse and worse stuff that gets publicized and and not not addressing that stuff so yeah, I, I don't want him to see him in movies. You know, if you punch your boss at work, you don't get to say you're sorry and come back six months and get the same job. Like, exactly. Sorry, you may be able to keep your family and hopefully be a better person and learn some lessons, but you don't get to just go back to the law firm or wherever it was you were working. You may have to do something else with your life for a little bit, and that's how I feel about all these actors who, whether it's the Johnny Depp's of the world or, or anyone else, to use a really like sneaky lawyer technique of my own, I will say that let's say a lawyer punches his boss and can't work in law anymore uh, and eventually becomes a better person or doesn't, it doesn't mean that the cases that he argued uh, aren't still precedent. Yeah, that's a little bit where I'm at with, you know, some like the the Mel Gibson's of the world. It's like, look, Lethal Weapon, Road Warrior, like he was a charming and a very good actor. I just don't ever want to see him make more movies again. But I'm not going to deny that, like, I enjoy these movies and and 
I, I feel like anyone who were was to judge me for that would be completely within their right because it's not it's not a clean decision I feel like I'm making. It's a very it's a very morally complex thing I think going on, but you as long as you are condemning him and embracing that he did horrible shit and you are saying like me giving him more money is basically me saying I forgive you. Yeah. You ha- like like you have to somehow wrangle with that presence of it, right? So Zach, Zach where this you're gonna was, I I I come at I mean I try to be I don't make any I don't have any hard and fast positions on this whole kind of issue because you know you, you start making your you start laying down the law and you break it and you look like a fool I try to I, I, I just looked up his filmography just to out of curiosity and the last movie of his I watched was in 2002 it was Signs and I'm looking at him and partially that's because I haven't been interested <laughs> in yeah. anything he's made so that's definitely a factor so I'm not going to take some high road and be like, yeah, I haven't even bothered. Yeah. Like I didn't want to watch anything he's made since then. I do what I do what I'm comfortable with and what, 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 you know, I, I let my conscience be my guide and sometimes it doesn't line up with everyone else's conscience, but I, I, I don't really bother anyone else about it either because everyone has their fave who they're willing to overlook something for. I, I, I mean, I, and not I, to yeah. I, I feel like overlook. Hopefully, is not the right. Yeah, that's not the term. right word. But it's, every, it's they're not willing to cut out. Yeah, everyone has the exception. Like yeah, I, I I'm probably never going to stop listening to David Bowie's music. But there's stuff out there about David Bowie from the '70s. Or just, John or John Lennon. I mean, I, I, I know, don't like John Lennon. <laughs> Or the That's Beatles. I mean, he was part of okay, the band. Yeah, yeah the Beatles. People, people, people. I've heard of, I've heard of them. Um, he wrote Ooh. some. He wrote some. <laughs> of, he wrote like so. He wrote some of the songs, but zero of the songs featuring an octopus or that octopus's garden. I will say for this movie specifically to kind of pivot a little bit of. <laughs> I, I, this isn't fair to say, but sometimes I feel like we're doth protesting too much. Like we want to have our cake and eat it too. And you know what? That's probably, you know, that's probably true. I just, I don't know. Um, I, I don't want to ignore it and I don't want to see yeah. other movies and I don't want to not watch the road warrior again. And I, that's, I think your lawyer, I think your lawyer thing was a good point. Like, I mean, was he always a monster possibly? And we just didn't know it, but at the same time, like, I mean, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't drunk when he showed up to the Mad Max audition. So he was at least an alcoholic early on. Yeah. Not that that makes you a bad person, but right. like he was at least mm-hmm. he's at least been a drunk for most of his career. Yeah. yeah. So to, to kind of pivot, I think one reason why I was surprised. So I haven't gone back to a lot of these um, Mel Gibson movies I really liked. Minus the Mad Max ones, which he's so stoic and quiet anyways, it's it almost feels like um, a little less of like, oh, he's making me laugh. And oh, that's right. He's a monster. Yeah, you don't um, have to so, like Max. You just yeah. have to be like this weird, strange, this weird, powerful man is going to help out some good people. Yeah. So in some ways, those are kind of easier to go back to. So I so this this obviously is more charming. One of the reasons that I think this really worked Though still for me is that I had forgotten how much the first Lethal Weapon movie is not a movie about Riggs. <laughs> it is absolutely a movie about Murtaugh. It becomes way more about Riggs in the second one when he's investigating his, his uh, what happened to his wife. He has a love interest. But this is very much a story about Murtaugh, Murtaugh's past and 
Mel Gibson, Martin Riggs is a chaos element that's thrown into that. And he correctly the co-lead, but the story at the center is really about Murtaugh. It is. Uh, it is. It is uh, mostly in the sense that um, Murtaugh drives a lot of the investigatory action um murtaugh's family is centric to what's happening and like yep riggs is kind of trying to i mean let, let's be straight here one of the things that separates this from other action movies is that this isn't about like uh, you know a cop who's just trying to make it through his day i love Die Hard, don't get me wrong but it's not about a cop who's just trying to make it through his day it is a movie about a suicidal man who's trying to find a reason to be alive again and then he finds a reason to be alive in the companionship of the in the support systems of Murtaugh and his family. And so the entire movie is weirdly about like Murtaugh trying to get his family back together and enlisting the help of his this new crazy dude that he met to get his family back together. And then when they don't re- when they're not paying attention, Murta Riggs ends up in the family. Well, and also I think your description is accurate, but I think the perspective is a little switched. I was actually amazed watching it this time how much it really is about Murtaugh deciding to open up and help this this fellow cop who clearly is damaged and not just being like you know because at the beginning of the movie he's calling we see him call the psychologist and the psychologist at the police station is saying don't work with this man (laughs) and the the like the core perspective of this movie really is is murtaugh's and the Stuff that Martin Riggs done is is Murtaugh's perspective of it. We get very little scenes of of Riggs alone besides like the opening outside of Murtaugh, which, again, not having seen these movies in so long and having kind of all four of them mismatched where basically Riggs becomes the central player of two, three and four. Um, I was amazed how how little Martin Riggs existed outside of Murtaugh when the opposite isn't true. I think the series became about Riggs piecing the rest of his life back together. Yeah, so it like, did. This movie is about him not wanting to kill himself. Uh, the next movie is him going down the hole deeper and deeper and, you know, making sure he didn't want to kill himself. But my And, and, wa- and my, walking through the garden. Yeah, he walked through the garden. You better watch your back. Um, the series does, you're 100% right. The series became about Riggs, but the first movie is mostly about Murtaugh and Riggs is like, has his own arc, obviously, because it's a buddy cop movie, but Murtaugh's- Well, and his, his arc is just like, he doesn't want to kill himself anymore, which it's, it's not slight, but it's not all that complex. Like the reason that he decides not to kill himself is that he sees what it's like to- not be alone anymore. He sees what a family dynamic is like. He starts to see Murtaugh as his family. And so it makes sense that the warm center of this movie would be Murtaugh and his family because they are pulling the satellite of Riggs into their orbit. Uh, yeah, and I, I love I love that how much it is about family. I mean, uh, I cried at the end of this movie, um, which I've do- I think I've done before, but never actual like full on like wonderful cry in this movie um because there's a sort of uh because that dog's gonna beat up that cat and you're a big dog person big dog i'm a i love i love the raw dog um (laughs) big fan of the big fan of uh dogs just getting into into it with cats and just tearing them to limb from limb and also unprotected sex (laughs) also unprotected sex uh no uh the ending actually did make me cry this time, which I forget how short it is. 
it's it's largely like three dialogue exchanges. Briggs goes to the door, hands the bullet over, leaves. Murtaugh uh, says the thing and then tells him not to leave. And then Riggs comes back with the dog, like saying, like, do you mind if I bring my friend in? It's largely just those three things. But it, it it's so powerful to me because of how hopeless the beginning of the movie is and how grim it is. And it feels like to live and die in L.A. And has feels like the weird dark cousin to this movie. Yeah. Um, to see a movie end on a begin on that hopeless path and then end in this place of like beauty with a family reunited and you know someone new is in the mix two people new including the dog uh is really beautiful to me and that's why it being Murtaugh's family is so important because they're such a like a, they're an adorable family they are and and it's it's rare i think even for all the movies that ate this to show the the more centered cop have like a good family dynamic the easy choice i think is to make it more that the the cop you know, has a rough relationship with his family because he's a cop. And then he ends up bonding with the loner cop who doesn't have the family because, yeah, this would be so much easier if I didn't have, like, these burdens <laughs> that are, like, taking yeah. me away from the job and giving me liability. And that never happens in this in this series. And I think that's a great credit to Shane Black of, like, no – like Murtaugh is like exhausted by the job. He sees being a cop as not his life, which is again, very rare for cop movies. Like being a cop is a job. It's why he says stuff like I'm too old for this shit because he doesn't like, he's good at his job, but it, it is a, unfortunately like a nine to nine thing for him many times. And what he cares about is getting to go home to his family. So that that's one of the areas when people took stuff from this movie, they didn't take that part which is why it does feel like the the truly still revolutionary part of the the first lethal weapon movie. Well, I mean, I guess I should ask you, Zach. Like, <laughs> did that feel different to um, to you? It, it did, but it also like I don't know. I feel like I've seen it before. Maybe I haven't. Maybe, but like it didn't. I don't Name know. twenty movies where you saw it. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> now, like uh, like so much stuff. I feel like the only thing that made any strong impression on me on this movie was Danny Glover. Even the scenes with his family, I don't know, so much of it felt very muted to me. Like, I I don't know, I expected a, a louder movie. I don't know if that's even the right term. But a movie that's, I don't know, I wouldn't call it subtle. But I wouldn't also call it, like, weirdly restrained based on what I was expecting and what the reputation it has is. It does have a comfortable pace to it for me. Um, like, a yeah. very, like, lifelike pace to me where I, like, fall in love with the family really quickly. Because and maybe, and like, I think a second viewing, I might, that might jump out to me more. But, like, I, I, I really, I, I, it's probably the worst, I'm the worst guest for this because I, like, so, like, I don't, like, it didn't really stick with me anything. Excited from a few brief images. Like, there's the scene whenever his daughter's about to leave and he's and he does the double take. Do you guys have any clue what I'm talking about? <laughs> the daughter's about to leave. When in the she, movie? She's about to go on, like, a date. I don't remember what point it was. Oh, when they're working on the boat. Oh. And right? They, yeah. They have a conversation about... And Riggs is kind of, like, on, his so on her side. Yeah. And Murtaugh kind of accepts that and just, like, it's part of their... Like, that is the scene where they... Are you know it's a Shane Black movie. That's their they're working on the boat. They're having a brewski. They're talking <laughs> about the job. That's like their their guy moment in this yeah. movie. 
And a day after, f- fucking Danny Glover put it, loaded a gun and put it up to, to Riggs' <laughs> face. I'm not trying to laugh, but like yeah. stuff happened very quickly in, in, in their relationship. Yeah, that's what's weird is they become – they love each other so quickly in this they, movie. They do, and that, that boat scene really is like – at the dinner table, he's a spectator to the family, right? Yeah. He, he's, he's respectful. Being very, he's distant. He is. He's watching how the family dynamic works, and then just a scene later, they're working on the boat, and he feels comfortable enough uh, already in their relationship to – participate in the in the family conversation so that is a that's a very important scene in letting in in letting their relationship advance to an an outsider to an observer to the first step of him being part of the family yeah he kind of breaks his nuts too like he tries to he he plays that prank where he like turns the engine on when when yeah lover is like looking down in the engine he plays that prank where he he turns it on and he's he's sort of breaking his balls by taking his daughter's side but danny glover knows he's being fucked with so danny glover doesn't like take the bait it's a really great like way to show that they're starting to like each other yet also um their relationship is going to be defined now that it has begun with them them fucking with each other, their relationship is going to be defined forever by them fucking with each other. It's just now it's going to be done with love instead of like true hateful antagonism. Well, and they they understand each other. That that whole dinner ends with him kind of asking Martin, like, just tell me the truth about yourself. They accept each other. They come yeah. to an understanding of like who the other one is. And Riggs gets all – as he comes back into civilization and, like, relationships and stuff like that, um, he – you know, some, some of the suicidal aspects and the more serious components of his personality get shaved down. But it's this, I still accepted you when I knew you were suicidal. Like, he – Danny Glover's friendship we see in this whole scene and this whole night is not contingent on him cooling off or not being crazy. Yeah. It is he learns to understand why he's like that. He listens to what he has to say. Yeah. Um, which is really rare, that whole scene where he's questioning whether he's really suicidal or trying to draw some sort of disability pay. He, a psycho he, pension? Psycho pension, yeah. Where he he asks, he's he's like, oh, he's trying to, to test him. And, you know, Mel Gibson has this truly impassioned, off, unhinged monologue where he's like, you don't think? Yeah, no, every day I try to... I try to think of a reason not to do this to myself. It kind of opens up to Danny Glover that this is not like a uh, someone who is faking. It's not someone who's just a lunatic. It is someone who has gone through trauma and he behaving in the only way he knows how um, as a response. And that's the moment like they get back in that car and then they, they make a joke to each other. Yeah. About, uh, you know, shitty food and then they go to dinner. So he listened, you know, Dan- Murtaugh listened to what he was saying and yeah. modified his behavior accordingly and knew that he, oh, okay, this guy has lost his family and he's hurt by this. I'm going to invite him to my family and I'm going to start engaging with him as a person. And that's like heartwarming. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It, it really hits me there. Uh, Zach, I'm sorry that it didn't hit you there. But like, <laughs> I'm sure that there are I'm sure that there are moments in like, I don't know, Seven Samurai or like a Buster Keaton movie that like make you tear up. And, and to me, I'm just like, that's a good moment. 
sort of like give a th- like just a thumbs up casual like that's a good moment uh i'm sure that there are moments like that uh for for me as well but um it's re- it's really rare too yes i think okay so one of the reasons i think this movie is better than most buddy cop movies and maybe my favorite buddy cop movie uh ever made it is about uh it is about two people learning to love each other without any uh douchey irony and without yeah. any broy masculinity between it that as the series goes on they do like love love each other yeah and it gets more and more like Richard Donner leans into it. It gets more and more bromancy and like sweet and like straight up like they're just like hugging. For they're just a lot like brothers. They're just like brothers by the end. Of yes, it. and the the genuine uh, chemistry between Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, uh, which is weird because like when Mel Gibson had uh, you know his first explosion of many uh, people went to Danny Glover to ask him. What he thought of all this. <laughs> like, people saw them as actual brothers. Like I'm an actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they clearly did love each other in real life, but still, like, they did five of these movies together. Four Lethal Weapon movies and then Maverick. Um, and Maverick's so good, too. So I good. haven't seen Maverick yet. I just learned what? that it's like... I just learned that it's like this weird Lethal Weapon side movie that I... Well, so... I don't know if I. It's Richard Donner. It's it's Richard Donner, but like Danny Glover's in there for forty five seconds. <laughs> that is maybe why I haven't watched it yet. Um, but anyway, um, so hold on. So the sweetest. So sweetness when we do is, a Western month, don't watch Maverick because it's so good, Peter. You're gonna love that movie. Okay, I'll, I'll, I will hold it off because I actually am one of the few people that's very into Richard Donner post Superman. Uh, so, anyways, uh, timeline top ten that, for you. What? Timeline? Timeline. Movie? No, no. Uh, more of like a Scrooged kind of guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> more where I'm pointing. Uh, uh, and conspiracy I theory. I do like conspiracy theory. Me and you are the only people on the planet who like conspiracy theory. We probably shouldn't discuss that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Jack, you seen conspiracy theory? Pretty good. Years ago. Yeah, it's got, uh, it was one of the first times that they let uh, Peace do play uh, like a true, true villain. Is Timeline that... John, that uh, Michael Crichton adaptation with like Jim Caviezel. Yeah, it's like the last movie he made before they're like, no more movies for you, Richard Donner. And that's where those guys they, go back in time to, in, to like medieval France. And yeah. that was, it's, that was it's, garbage. It's the, most, it's the most frustrating of time travel movies because you're like, oh, fuck yeah. Time travel movie from the writer of Jurassic Park. Oh <laughs> my God. So many possibilities. It's going to be like, but maybe they go a bunch of different places. Maybe they, it's just like, uh, you no, know, it's basically just a medieval. <laughs> it's a medieval movie, but um, the guys in the medieval movie, like a bad medieval movie, but all yeah. the guys they know about cell phones. It's like, oh. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. they go, "This would be easier if I had my cell phone." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my my yeah, my my point was basically just that I think that this movie did the sweetness between the two cops. Better than literally any other buddy cop movie, where their your love, their love is so viable and it's so charming, and, and yeah, it's a uh, that's primarily why I love this movie is because I love those two together, which also adds moral conflict that we kind of talked about. Well, I would say that the other movies don't even try. I think that's the big thing missing from all the imitators. The imitators, I th- saw this movie and they said, 
uh, got it. Two cops that don't really like each other have to solve a case, and and they're quippy and they play jokes, and um, one of them's more hard edge than the other one. The other one, like they took all that and they they missed the most important part of why these movies are so special, which is that Mel Gibson or that Riggs and Murtaugh actually end up loving each other and being friends. Not respect, not the 48 hours version, but end up caring about each other and modifying their behavior in a way to help the other one progress. Um, so uh, I, I do want to point out that this has Shane Black's uh, noir tendencies uh, that are starting to creep in as every movie goes in and then nice guys this most recent movie is like straight up full-on comic noir um it it even like references neo-noir like it it, um not like literally references it but like visually and having like specific call outs to la confidential in it uh which is pretty great like it is uh Shane Black starts to understand in this movie how to shoot noir in the sun because he loves making L.A. look seedy. Oh, my God. L.A. looks so good in this movie. uh, He understands that sort of um, the beauty that L.A. has at like sunset. The sun is creeping over through the cracking through the buildings and everything is glowing. But like you're in a urban sprawl it's like a never-ending yeah. metropolis um that's that sort of conflict between ugly and beautiful that is la at all times well he also understands that la looks different based on elevation which the best la directors know like yes. the closer you get to the ground the more it just kind of looks uh seedy and run down and like there hasn't been enough maintenance and stuff like that and the higher you get even on uh there's a great scene where they're uh, in kind of a shitty neighborhood and then he goes up to the roof of one of those buildings and you see the backdrop and all of a sudden what at uh, you know at sea level or whatever looked run down and shitty at you know 30, 30 feet higher looks gorgeous and um, and Richard Donner really knew how to shoot that and uh, yeah you're right Shane Black kind of understood that, that um, time of day and elevation really changes how you can use L.A. in any given movie. Yeah, there's a great scene where uh, – and it's a throwaway, probably like B – maybe even like second unit stuff where McAllister is uh, receiving orders over the radio from Gary Busey who just killed uh, Hunsaker, ki- just killed Fred uh, uh, Tom Atkins. Uh, Were you going to say Fred Durst? I was going to say Fred Decker. <laughs> because <laughs> um, of the shadow company stuff and that he's also in night of the creeps i, I want to get into that for sure but anyways um so he just killed uh gary Busey just killed uh hunsacker there's a throwaway moment where McAllister is receiving the news and you know basically they're just talking they're exchanging information about what they know basically saying now they have to kill the cops and there's a shot through the windshield uh, from the rear of a truck and McAllister's on a cell phone and the sun is setting and it's coming through the buildings, coming through the windshield. And that's like the movie in an encapsulated moment for me uh, as a, a, f- a filmic property where it's just like the glowing city, but like some guy is having like a dingy conversation in a dirty van. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, you can see the sprawl, this like beautiful sprawl and yet ugly, really ugly sprawl. Like you can't stop moving, but 
it's beautiful and ugly at the same time the other Um, really like the other shane blackism that uh we've talked about a lot in the last couple episodes is kind of how how subversion and how twisty he is and this i mean this was his first script um but this does have one great subversion so you you kind of establish how you know this murtaugh's talking to the psychologist talking to the police chief he's talking to his buddy about taking on rigs he learns what he's about and you kind of if you were watching this movie for the first time i would assume uh zach you can correct me if i'm (laughs) right or wrong i would assume that you would think that a lot of the movie was going to be murtaugh trying to figure out what riggs was and kind of like engaging with him but keeping his true intentions somewhat secretive and their first conversation walking to the car is Rick's basically going, I know you think I'm psycho and I'm going to kill myself, but I just want to be like, he (laughs) he throws all of that expectations of how these relationships work out the door immediately and just calls out everything that's going on in the movie up to that point. And then they get in the car, both having uh, on on the same page and with the same knowledge in front of them, which I think is like the biggest Shane Black's aversion that going forward in more and more of his movies by the time like nice guys and kiss kiss bang bang it was like oh what if i do that but every scene all the time every other line and i think that's yeah. one of the reasons i love shane black is that he's got a sort of adhd thing going on where he gets impatient with old tropes so he's like, yeah fuck it why don't i just have the scene now instead of in an hour yeah what if they just tell each other what they're both thinking immediately yeah um, zach did that play like that for you at all were you were you thinking it was going to go longer no that? yeah I, that did surprise me that like and i think that's one of the big things that threw me was that i expected this to be a movie about the conflict between their approaches and it's not yeah, really, it really like, isn't. Yeah, like, it's not at all. Like, they get on the same page fairly early. Murtaugh doesn't really spend a lot of time, like, at odds with him. I-, I think, weirdly enough, the buddy cop genre is more often than not about guys who are not that alike and don't get along, begrudgingly coming to an agreement and a, and a working relationship. Whereas this is, Murtaugh, very early on, is like... All right, let's see if I can't make this work. And he does <laughs> successfully. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is them working together quite well. Like, like, I think that's what's weird about it. Like, and what a lot of the imitators do differently is, or not even necessarily the imitators, because I guess that was already a thing before. But what a lot of the other buddy cop movies do differently is that they they make it not so much a buddy cop, but a odd couple cop. Like yeah. I think, yeah, where they're not getting along until basically they like the very, very end, if at all. Really, that's most buddy cop movies is more yeah. of an odd couple scenario. This isn't that. This is a guy who's been at this for years and is good at it and he's professional by poli- movie police standards. Getting saddled with a guy who could be a chore, but him turning it around and making it work and kind of looking for the best way to get through this like yeah and i think that's one of the strengths that's one of the things that did stand out to me is that it isn't it isn't an odd couple even though it could be they're very different guys yeah they lay it all on the line immediately which is not the odd couple thing the odd couple thing is to like to kind of keep it it in and to be passive about it and to be passive aggressive and like they fight over girls or something they fight over rent they fight over money like and then there's a they have a falling out towards the end and then 
They come back together to fight the villain because one of their yeah. kids. Yeah, and, and there's none of that. Yeah, the, there's never a falling out. Um, so since it got cut out of the Night of the Creeps episode, uh, I do want to mention. I'm editing that they this one. Drop... What? I said I'm editing this one too. God, <laughs> make make it cut here. <laughs> uh, since it got edited out of the Night of the Creeps episode, I do want to mention that uh, Tom Atkins is in this also from Night of the Creeps, and uh, they originally Shane Black and Tommy Atkins, who were roommates, and you know even co-wrote some of their stuff together. You mean um, Fred Decker? <laughs> Shane Black was not roommates me, with Fred Tom Decker. Atkins. Fred Decker, yes. <laughs> uh, Fred Decker. Uh, That's a buddy cop. That's an odd couple situation I'd like to see. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Um, but Fred Decker uh, and, and Shane Black wrote this script that John Carpenter almost directed called Shadow Company about like huh. Vietnam vets coming back home from the war and like they're like basically like zombie soldiers that you can't kill. And that's where Shadow Company comes from. It's like this cute winking reference at the script that Fred Decker and Shane Black worked on together. But it that sounds like Universal Soldier. It's kind of Universal Soldier, but legally sort different. Of Homecoming, the that Masters of Horror episode. Okay. I've um, never seen that. It sounds like uh, Universal Soldier meets Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, Jacob's Ladder's in the like. The, it sounds like Jacob's Ladder. Also, um, uh, what's the what's the Bob Clark movie? Uh, not Dreamscape. Well, uh, Christmas the Vien- story. The Vietnam Corpse coming home. Christmas. I don't know that one. Story. Christmas story. Um, <laughs> that's that. Yeah. That's that. That's what the leg lamp was made oh, out of. Porkies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Porkus. Um, <laughs> and um, so it, it's a it's a funny thing just to have Tom Atkins being here because it like reminds you exactly of the era it's in. It reminds you yeah. of like can't believe he turned out to be a other ball. projects were going on at the time. What? I said, can't believe he turned out to be a slime ball. Yeah. Tom Atkins, <laughs> of all people? Oh, did not, did not see that coming. Do you think Tom Atkins in real life was like, spent every Thanksgiving at a food kitchen? Like, he actually, like, unlike Mel Gibson, who, like, seemed like such a cool guy in movies, and then he turned out to be a douchebag, do you think Tom Atkins seemed like such a slime ball in movies? So, real life, he was like... Oh, no, I never touched a drop of alcohol in my life. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time at soup kitchens volunteering. Um, I give 50% of my paycheck to, uh, you know, local charity organizations. Um, I, I give my, my wife multiple orgasms. Um, <laughs> I imagine if you know Tom Atkins in real life, you're talking to him, you're having normal conversations, and then suddenly he's like, so I killed your grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Get over it. He likes you know, that, that was the that's the that's the through line with Night of the Creeps is that uh, halfway through both movies he confesses to some horrible shit out of the blue. <laughs> is is anyone else like kind of disappointed when you watch a movie from before Gary Busey became a crazy person and he's just acting normal? Like, so you think him? Getting uh, a lighter held up to his arm and being a, a cold, calculating murderer is like it's him acting completely normal. Well, it's not like normal, but it's also like he's not like bug nuts. Like, like oh no, that's what I mean. Like he's he's acting. <laughs> like oh my god, yeah. He, like I kind of I kind of always expect when I see him for him to be insane because it's well, just what I'm, have, I'm used to. Didn't he have like some a, sort of motorcycle accident or something crazy yeah the motorcycle accident kind of kind of affected uh his his behavior but but he was like when i was looking this up like he was essentially the 
one of the biggest people in this movie. Like, yeah. Mel Gibson wasn't a huge thing yet. Like, mm-hmm. he was a fucking Academy Award nominated um, actor, and Danny Glover just, was big because this is right after the color purple. Yeah. Essentially, I always forget that like Gary Busey was ever like taken seriously. It's so strange. So, anyways, um, I think we we're getting close here. So, I want to talk about a couple things. Yeah, I, let's do, I let's do to some know. scenes or or moments that we didn't get a chance. Well, this to talk is actually about. a less or less just specific. general things, whatever you want to talk. Have about. you guys ever seen the the documentary? I'm, nah, I'm gonna mess up the t- title, but I think it's called Casting by. Oh yeah, it's about a famous right. casting director. I forget. So her it's name. about Marion Doherty. Marion Doherty yes. was a very famous casting director. She was the casting director for Lethal Weapon, and she's the reason that Danny Glover's in Lethal Weapon. She is the reason that the character of Murtaugh is even a black guy because it's not on the page. That's a that's completely original to the like casting and the act, as the film was produced. And you can actually find a clip somewhere, and you could probably find the audio for it if you want to drop it in here. Of Richard Donner talking about how whenever she brought that name to him, she said, "Hey, how about Danny Glover?" It just completely changed his way he thought about scripts. It completely changed the way he thought about you know, everything he did because he, he, she pointed out this huge blind spot that he, it didn't even occur to him that the character couldn't be white. So I don't like that stuck with me. I saw that years ago, uh, that documentary, just the fact that I thought, I thought it was weird that right after that scene is a scene with Mel Gibson saying that they wish they would have cast it as originally wrote. Did he? No. Oh, okay. Because he's a racist guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I but no, like, maybe like maybe he likes black people, but he just doesn't like Jews. Is that yeah. how it works? I think he likes specific black people, but yeah, as one a of those, whole, is not one a of those fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, I, he, I could see him hating everybody that's not him. He, um, but yeah, it's it, it was really interesting because you know he, we don't think often about the casting directors yeah. having a real impact on a movie, but here's a movie that launched. I mean, Danny, it didn't launch Danny Glover's career, but it propelled him to a kind of a superstardom in this huge franchise that he became part of and became a household name because of Marion Doherty, who's a casting director. I think it also really changed the dynamic of what would have become the buddy cop genre. Yeah. Because the buddy cop cop genre is almost known for like for people that aren't the same in like the way they look. Uh, So whether that's like a tough guy and a. And a skinny white guy, or whether it's a, a man or a woman, whether it's a like you know uh, rush hour where it's a, it's a black guy and a Chinese guy, like they were known for like yeah. making their the the components of who they were as a person play to what the conflicting uh, dynamic was that usually yeah. started uh, their relationship. So yeah, she didn't just change. Danny Glover's life, she essentially yeah. changed a, a genre. It's kind oh, of the yeah. alien thing where, you know, no one had a gender in in uh, in Alien. It was about finding yeah. the right person, but I, I would still say it's pretty much a stroke of genius to make the main character uh, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And that, Nobody that, uh, would know Ripley's name if Ripley were just nope. a, du- a, a dude at the time. Steve Reelsbeck. <laughs> yeah, no, if you were Steve Rails back, Alien would be a fucking disaster. <laughs> yep. So what else you got, Zach? Um, I, I I do think that like it's a stronger movie as a buddy drama than it is as an action movie. 
I, I wasn't really wowed by any of the action. But do you think – how much are you watching movies from the 80s and are wowed by the – A lot. Like I, I watch Predator. Well, I reject <laughs> – I watch Predator, like Terminator 2, Aliens, um, you, you know, your – you're Arnold, you're Sly, you're JCVD, you're, you're those guys. I watch those a lot, and I'm a I'm a fan. And, you know that each of them has strengths and weaknesses, but like I did think like it let me down in that regard. And I think that's because Donner's approach isn't really as an action director. He's got a different kind of approach, like a more adventure style, if you want to call it that, or a more kind of grounded. Even the way he shoots Superman is fantastic, but it's not like action, like like we think of as modern action. It's kind of more of a classical style of action, Hollywood action. It's very understandable too. Like you yeah. always know who's shooting who. There's yeah, no like, fast cuts. It's not. Yeah, and 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 like it's, but it's not like he's not like a McTiernan, like where it's this super powered, like efficient and lean still, but also very like high-powered action it's more grounded and and that's not bad i don't think it's i, I wouldn't knock that against the movie but i kind of the i think the critical like i, or I think the cultural idea of lethal weapon is as this like balls to the wall like commando uh last action hero kind of thing and it's not and so like that was kind of jarring to me like of how much it really was seemed more to me like I mean, like the nice guys or another Shane, you know, another Shane Black movie. I, I can't think of a single moment in it from an action standpoint that like wowed me. Like the helicopter coming down is a great spectacle, but I wouldn't know. I don't know that I think of that as like action. You know what I mean? Like it's so it's yeah, it's so hard for me to say like, well, here's what I thought when I saw them. Yeah. But I guess I if I can trust my scientifically proven to be faulty memory from 20 years ago. <laughs> um, I don't I don't remember Lethal Weapon being like known as a balls to the wall action movie. Yeah. I remember it being a comedy action movie. Yeah. And that's that was like and then especially got only more so because Joe Pesci is in the next 3 and he plays a hilarious comic character, but they yeah. lean more and more heavily into the comedy uh, the comedy components of the movie. So yeah. by the time like Lethal Weapon got to me as like a a thing I knew about, yeah, I I knew the Joe Pesci components as well, right. and I knew that like the the quotes in in the in the magazines and the taglines were how hilarious the movie was. Right. So for me specifically, as far as sure. I can remember, I never saw it as like a. Uh, frantic action movie like die right. hard was like die yeah I mean, before exactly. I said die hard or robocop it was like these are gonna be fucking action movies right. but lethal weapon i guess i saw more as more as almost a comedy before yeah. i saw it yeah I, I, I did an and action I, movie. I, I, that's I, I another thing that i think would improve on a rewatch because i have no expectations now like like yeah. i don't i don't i don't have to expect anything because i know what it is so on a second watch i would probably appreciate it more because yeah I'm not expecting anything. I, I know what it is. I now I can watch it for what it is and say, okay, what do I think of this? The series is ultimately about the love between these two characters. And when I first watched the movie, I was just like, oh, those two guys like each other and there's good action scenes and stuff, which I, I should say, 
Die Hard is a movie that's trying to stretch what you consider like uh, a good action scene. Like there's bigger explosions and there's guys getting like dragged out and there's the chain fight at the very end where uh, uh, who's the German dude gets choked. Yeah. Not Hans Gruber. Uh, the, the pissed off dude, um, because it's, yeah. because, uh, John McClane kills his brother. Um, <laughs> so that scene and the explosions and John McClane, uh, blowing up more stuff and walking across glass, that's like trying to expand what an action movie is. And the Die Hard series went more and more on like, what can we put John McClane through? Yeah. Lethal Weapon is scaled much smaller. Yeah. It's trying yeah. to be more like every day. But I do think that Richard Donner does a great job with what size fight he tries yeah, to like, do. When I say I don't think it's a good action movie, I don't mean it's a bad action movie. I mean that it's really not primarily an action movie. Yes, like, it is it's just, primarily a comedy about two dudes who... Yeah. yeah, like that's not what it's trying to do. It's not its mode. It does some some action in a purely functional sense because it needs to. It doesn't, but the action is never really the spectacle in Lethal Weapon in the first one. There's the there's the jumper scene and there's the helicopter scene, but both of those are more about the stunt, the you know that singular moment than they are like a big sequence. Oh, and also my favorite action related scene. Um, is actually the first one with uh, Riggs and the drug dealers at the Christmas tree lot. Like, yeah. It's like, so like, funny. It shows yeah. how willing Riggs is willing to antagonize yeah. people. Like he doesn't just want to get the job done. He wants to like work out his personal demons right. on, on criminals. That was a good um, scene. Yeah. And that, and that's like the, that's like the, I think that, I think that one scene is like what you expect and what I expected. Like, Okay, this is this is gonna be this kind of movie, and there's really no more scenes like that. Like that kind of threw me off. I think that's another thing that would like the second watch would like appreciate more. What uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on Lethal Weapon, a movie that I love and is very near and dear to me? Um, I kind of want to, you know, if if it's okay, Peter, I'd kind of like you to start. Like I this this was coming back to an old love that I was happy to find that I still loved. Uh, almost as much as I I did back then, uh, even with a with the with a major actor's uh, reputation being rightfully uh, thrown in the sewer and and flushed a million times, and I'm I'm kind of um, I'm kind of gunning to watch the other ones and kind of complete the picture in the ways I used to, um, but this this for you is this is this is more of a I watch this every year. And uh, it is like a part of my life. So um, I think this movie is still great. Uh, if you can't handle Mel Gibson, I totally get it. But uh, this movie, I think, not just works because of it's a movie about trauma and two, uh, two people bonding and like listening to each other while still being very funny and action-y. But also it really is the story of, of Murtaugh learning to accept helping people instead of just going and doing his job every single day. Yeah. Uh, Zach, do you have any final thoughts? I think I like it more uh, than I thought I did. It's just talking about it usually can do that. And I think I'm excited to watch the other ones and even give this one another shot probably first. Um, yeah, we didn't want to bully you into liking the movie. Just uh, it, more curious as a first timer because it, it is an interesting perspective to bring to the table. I will say Joe, this: Joe Pesci's so good in those. Yeah, I love Joe Pesci. Like yeah. I do. Um, I'll say this: I have no love for Eric Clapton's guitar score. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. 
that it always sounds like it's going to break into Wham's never going to dance again. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just he's like to me there was like a definitive moment like it's like 1970 where like from that point on Eric Clapton's like eh forget trying I'm just going to play this boring blues jazz like and everything he's made since then I've hated and this is no exception like i would love to even have like a nostalgic appreciate or like a ironic appreciation for it and i can't like i <laughs> yeah like, the 80s the, the 80s sax in particular really the sax doesn't me. bother me i can appreciate that like has its cheesy quality but something about clapton man it just doesn't I, work for me i thought it was weird how many of the songs that you hear throughout the movie were about someone eventually killing their kid and then writing a song to cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no relation. That, that is the darkest relation. thing I will ever say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, Eric clapped back with a lawsuit to We Love to Watch this week. <laughs> Did you know that's a real rumor? I did not know that was a rumor. There's a real rumor rumor that like every single celebrity death. Well, that like they (laughs) were um, that they didn't like murder their kid, but like it was because of um, like they neglect. Neglect. Yeah, it was like negligence. Yeah, and uh, and then and they kind of partially covered it up by like being so public about their grief and writing this like song about their grief and stuff like that. I I remember. When I was like getting into classic rock first, everyone was like, "Oh, you got to hear the the unplugged version of Layla. It's just like the world's better." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." I hear the unplugged version of Layla, and I'm like, "What is this crap? Like, yeah, this so- like this sounds like an old man." <laughs> like, <laughs> so it, so it reminds me of. It reminds me of people fucking uh, trying to make a conspiracy out of nothing. Reminds me of uh, one I heard somewhere. They're like, did you know that Kurt Cobain took enough black tar heroin before he shot himself that he would have died anyways? Doesn't that seem suspicious to you? (laughs) And then I looked it up and I'm like, and people were like, no, he took a gargantuan dose, which is normal for an everyday heroin user. <laughs> That's why dudes like Philip Seymour Hoffman die when they go back to the habit. Yeah. Because they just do what they were doing before. Yeah. It's funny, even the Eric Clapton one, like, I can buy, like, I guess I don't know enough about the situation, but like. I can buy can that it was negligence. I can buy that it was negligence, but I also believe that if it was negligence, he probably was still grieving about it (laughs) and you know a lot of times when people are grieving they channel it through their art (laughs) channel it through their art so i mean even if it was negligence i doubt it was like i know how i'm gonna throw throw the cops (laughs) off my trail i'm gonna write a hit song (laughs) proving Uh, that i loved my son people people will never stop taking sweet things at sweet things and earnest things and being like Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't I don't have any cynical hatred of the song. I just have a regular hatred of the song. It's not a good song. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also don't think that that makes him a murderer. No. Uh, but uh, a murderer a man, of culture. A man's, just a manslaughterer. Just a manslaughterer. 
<laughs> just want to make it really clear. So my final thoughts are basically have been summed up already, but I, I do want to reiterate that I, I think this is a enormously sweet movie and it is guided by the uh, central friendship between Murtaugh and Riggs. It is a movie that made me cry this time. The idea, especially like as somebody who's uh, struggled with depression in his life, the idea of someone like finding the missing piece, the missing family that he always needed and through that, like, the movie is basically about someone finding hope through their life and someone also, like, that person, the person that they, they brought them into that new sense of hope is trying to keep their family unit together, their support structure together. Um, and I, I love that. It's weirdly enough sort of like Alien, where, like, after this movie, I kind of wish the series was end so that these poor guys don't have to go through any more trouble. Like, trouble? Like, at the end of Alien, I'm always like, just rip, have Ripley get found by her daughter and go home. But, like, the Alien canon is like, well, no, actually, uh, she, uh, uh, you know, misses her daughter's entire life. Uh, her daughter actually has her own canon because of the alien isolation game. She also lives a miserable life where she has to deal with the alien. Uh, she dies and then they bring her back. Sort of like that. Like, I love the series, but part of me is also like, after this movie, I kind of wish that it had ended because then Murtaugh and Riggs wouldn't have to keep, like, going through these, like, awful trials where they have to murder people to get out of. Um, but well, if they just I, would have I, shot the knees, if they just would have <laughs> shot the knees, and I and I yeah, so I I love the series um, because of that love, and that's what brings me back to it. Even though plot wise, three and four are kind of fucked up movies; they're kind of broken. The character work and the comedy is so good, but yeah. Mel Gibson is the Mel Gibson is the litmus test for this. If you can't if you can't accept Mel Gibson's work pre um, coming out as a monster. Then I don't. Obviously, you're gonna hate these fucking movies because they're all about him. They become more and more about him. As yeah, they go. yeah. Sure, he's a monster. I mean, fine, whatever. Disgusting, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's perfect. Um. No. So, Aaron, how are we capping this month? Well, first, Zach, our guest. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Uh, we maybe next time we. I mean, based on the odds, it'll be for another Richard Donner movie. Because 40% of the movies you've discussed with us are Richard Donner movies. Zach, since you've since you've been on the show, I think there's a film that you've made. I have. Yeah, there has been. Do you want to promote it? It's pretty good. I uh, was one called, of the producers. You were. It's called Subletting. It's a true story-ish. And it's, uh, it's on Vimeo. If you look for Subletting on Vimeo, you should be able to find it. Um, I'm sure Aaron and Peter will link it at the end here or on their website. Oh, you oh, bet we will, baby. We will, baby. You, you. And, uh, yeah, you can see that there. Uh, it was made with the generous support of a lot of contributors via Indiegogo. And uh, I'm in it. I directed it. I wrote it. I edited it. I composed some music for it, along with Moby. Who didn't compose music for it, but I licensed <laughs> music from him. But <laughs> it sounds cool to say I composed music along with Moby. Um, and yeah, so uh, you're listening. You're like, I like what I'm hearing. I want to see the rest of the package. Yeah, good place to go. Yeah, really, and the only place to go besides going to your house or yeah. your place of work. Yeah, or or my Vimeo channel has other videos, but. There is definitely going to be an upcoming film of some sort that I am working on and I'm funding. And when I have that, I will 
uh, beg you for money then, too. Uh, is it going to be subletting to hyper subletting? No, it'd be uh, subletting to leasing. <laughs> <laughs> is leasing the sequel to subletting? Yeah, it's actually going uh, to be called leasing subletting part two. Uh, and then the one after that will just be called three. Su- yeah, you got it. Yeah, no leasing, three. leasing three, leasing three. Or oh, you're uh, going le- the first blood. You're going the Rambo. Going the Rambo route. <laughs> <laughs> I got. It. it took me a while to get what you were doing, <laughs> but I got there. That's the best kind of jokes are the ones that no one gets. Yeah, and we are wrapping up the month with a Pete and Aaron special. That's where it's just Pete and Aaron and no one special. Hmm. Uh, so Joseph. Work. No, no, literally, <laughs> literally no one. But funny, you should mention that. So we're wrapping it up with the long kiss goodnight, which uh, surprising myself and probably anyone who's listening to this, I think was my favorite of these four movies, Peter. I don't, um, I don't know how that happened. It's not my favorite of the four, but it is definitely, it is definitely way better than I remembered. And oh I'm yeah, very proud that we brought it on. I'm so glad. I I kind of expected it to be like a not a mediocre because I remember liking it, but but less. I I expected to have less enthusiasm for it than I did for you know Lethal Weapon and Kiss Kiss Bang Man Bang and Iron Man Three. And I think it's actually a perfect capper to the month. So I'm very excited uh, for that one next week. And that's that's our last 2017 episode. It's our first complete year as a podcast, and we'll be back in January. So uh, we are pleased to announce January. We'll be talking more about uh, guests and order uh, next week. But uh, what we're going to be doing is, much like last year, the first week of January uh, is going to not be as part of our month, but it is going to be our best of 2016 episode. We don't. We're going to go back a year after we've had time to actually watch all these fucking movies and rank our favorites of 2016. And much like our best of 2015 episode, Joseph J. Finn will be joining us for that. So we're very excited for that. And then January, we are pleased to announce we are going to be doing 80s Fantasy Month. And that's going to include uh, The Black Cauldron, Labyrinth, uh, the director's cut of Legend, and the never-ending story. So we're really excited to – that's kind of been a back pocket month for us since we started this podcast. Uh, and I can't think of a better time than starting a new year with something completely different than we've ever done and talking about some movies. Uh, one that I haven't seen. Uh, but Which one? Uh, the Black Cauldron. I thought that was from the 70s. It is from the 80s. Hmm. And it's also like Disney's attempt to – kind of yeah. change what their animated movies are. That's the one based on the Lloyd uh, Alexander yeah. novel, right? Yeah, it was rated PG. People hated it and it's kind of <laughs> growing in uh, esteem. And I've just seen so many uh, 80s fantasy movies that I wanted to do at least one that was going to be new to me. But I think all but Labyrinth are new to you, right, Peter? Uh, yeah, all but Labyrinth. Yeah, we can announce uh, guests for that, too. Beth Powder is going to join us for uh, Legend. We had rescheduled her from uh, October to do some time conflicts. Uh, and then Carrie Nelson, returning guest from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, will be joining us to talk about the never-ending story. So we haven't finalized the order yet, but that is our plan for January, and we are super, super excited. Yes, uh, very, very excited. And, uh, yeah, we're uh, next week we'll wrap this month up. 
Well, um, we look forward to seeing you next week. But uh, when we see you next week, we will wish you a Merry Christmas. And I will not right now. And also, we never see you because you listen to this on a podcast. Yeah, we love to watch. You love to think about us watching and never see us actually watch or watch us. You love to listen, hopefully. Yeah, you don't get to watch us. Yeah, you're not part of we. Yeah, you don't get to be the, the, the voyeur in this in this situation. Honestly, how dare you? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think you should just turn off this podcast right now. I mean, not to hear the plugs, but right after that, get the fuck out. <laughs> Here, we already did plugs. No, but like we have that recording thing at the end of the all okay. these shows. Yeah, and then not yeah. After you do the after you hear the plugs, like you our plugs, out. not we'll, Zach's plugs, and we'll see you in a week. plugs. Hair we'll plugs. see you in one week. Zach's hair plugs. After you hear about Zach's amazing hear hair about, yeah. plugs, which haven't sponsored the show, but have done such wonders for him that we have to give a little plug a Rooney. You've yeah. only put them uh, in your asshole, right? Yeah. He wants. Yeah, they don't go. They don't go in your head. That'd be fatal. He crazy. wants a thick jungle brush of plugs down there. Yeah. It's actually a butt plug just covered in hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's Good night. Oh, don't, 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 it's a trade secret. Don't give that out on the air. <laughs> you got to call the 1-800 number and then they walk you through it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Zach. And yeah. uh, good luck and good night. watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) 
that's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.